0: Welcome to the East City Wesleyan Church podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and if you would like to learn more about East City Wesleyan Church, please go to ecw.org.nz for more information. Now, here's your podcast. Good morning, Church. Have any of you heard of the New Age movement? Yes? Well, one interesting thing about it is that even the New ages don't quite agree on the definition of the New Age movement. But generally, the New Ages way of thinking or philosophy can be broken down into three major points. And I'll just go through them really quickly, and I'll come back to these points later, so bear with me, all right? Now, first, the New Ager desires control over their life. So, for example... New Agers don't necessarily believe in a supreme being, but they generally hold a belief that there are spiritual forces in this world and that it would benefit human beings to align themselves to these unseen forces. And by aligning certain ways of doing things, that gives them some control over their lives. Some New Ages may also believe that we as humans have power within ourselves that we can unleash to influence or impact the world for the general good or for our own benefit. So if you used to watch Oprah Winfrey, for example, she subscribes to what is called The Secret. And The Secret is explained as a law of attraction. So basically, think good thoughts about yourself and you will attract good things to yourself. That kind of philosophy. Second, the New Ager is averse to disappointment, suffering, and pain. I know what you're thinking. Who isn't, right? Now, I don't mean that they just don't like disappointment, suffering, and pain. I mean that they really, really don't like it, can't handle it, and have very little solution for it. And this is where we also get the moral objections against Christianity. Even if a New Ager believes that there is a supreme being, they find it very hard to reconcile the moral question of evil and suffering. So many would rather take a mix and match approach. So if you have friends who subscribe to New Age philosophy, You might see that they tend to pick and choose uh, spiritual practices that suit their lifestyles and their temperaments. Practices such as yoga, reiki, feng shui, and belief in karma are some examples. They are very popular with New Agers. It's a kind of a mishmash of practices that they adopt to give some kind of structure to life. And that brings me to the third characteristic of a New Ager. The new ager has problems with rules. Problems with rules. They can't take structure and rules. So the new ager is someone who might subscribe to some kind of spirituality, but rejects institutionalized religion. I'm sure you might have heard someone say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. If you heard someone say that, that person could very well be a new ager though he or she would probably reject such a label, right, because they don't like labels. Yep. Now, as you are aware, we've begun a new sermon series called What's on My Mind? It comes from the brilliant mind of Pastor Joey Millington, and it's brilliant because we pastors get to talk to you about what's really on our hearts and our minds for our church. Now, the topic of evangelism in respects to our church, has been ruminating in my heart for quite some time now. And so today, I want to talk to you about how we can reach our friends who are New Agers. Now, you may have noticed that these characteristics of New ages fit almost anyone. Those who call themselves free thinkers or non-religious, but who believe that there is a spiritual realm, that's probably a New Ager. Even some Christians who may not be quite grounded in Scripture and uh, who treat God like Santa Claus or like a vending machine could be a New Ager, right? One such characteristic is someone who goes to church in order that God will grant their wish or their request. So kind of a tit-for-tat kind of thing. Not what we would call a real relationship with Jesus, Now, as I said, most people in New Zealand would probably fit the description of a New Ager, and that's why I've chosen to speak to you today on reaching our New Ager friends and relatives. And I want to look at a rather long Bible passage, and uh, thank you, Mark, for, for reading that for us. And I'll tell you my purpose here up front, right? No gimmicks. I want to challenge you, inspire you, and motivate you to rise to the occasion, I want you to be light bearers and gospel tellers of Jesus Christ, together with all our community of faith seated here. Is that okay? Yep. As we begin, will you join me in a word of prayer? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to gather in this manner to listen to what you have to say to us today. Lord, would your spirit move in our hearts, in our minds, and challenge us, Would you increase our faith that we may not only hear your word, but be equipped and encouraged to go and do it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's dive straight into our passage for today. Acts 5, verse 17, and let's read this together. Ready? Let's go. Then the high priest rose up. And all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees. And they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. What is evangelism? Wikipedia defines evangelism as the preaching of the gospel or the practice of giving information about a particular doctrine or set of beliefs to others with the intention of converting others to the Christian faith. Now I'll tell you my definition. Evangelism is the mandate of God for every Christian to speak to others all the words of this life. Let me say it again. Evangelism is the mandate of God for every Christian to speak to others all the words of this life. In our passage we just heard and we just read, the angel of the Lord freed the apostles and told them God's mandate to them. The angel says, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And that is God's mandate to us as well, to speak to others all the words of this life. Now what does that mean? Allow me to unpack this for us and I just have three points that I want to share. First, it means that we need to have a living relationship with God. We need to have a living relationship with God. Now, some of you might be thinking, duh, of course. In Singaporean slang, it would be, of course lah. (laughs) The verse says, speak to the people all the words of this life. And in other versions, it emphasizes this new life. So this life or this new life refers to the life Christians experience after conversion. It is the new and eternal life that is made possible by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection. When we become Christians, our spirits are made new, made alive to Christ. And this is the new life that we are talking about here. We will experience the resurrection of the body on the last day, but right now we experience newness of life in the spirit. And this continuous renewing continues as we walk with God. Now, sometimes I hear Christian brothers and sisters tell me about years ago, God spoke to them and changed their lives. They say, in those days, this this happened. Back then, this happened. Now, I'm always encouraged to hear such testimonies. But my question would be, Yes, in those days God spoke to you and you did this and God changed your life in this way. But my question now would be, what has God been speaking to you in the last few days? What is he saying to you now? How has he been working in your life since those few years ago? Church, we need to have a living relationship with God. When accused by the high priest, Peter and the other apostles replied, There so well put is the gospel. God, our fathers, raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him, God, has exalted to his right hand to be prince and saviour, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And then he says, We are his witnesses to these things. Now, they were witnesses not just because they saw that these things actually happened. They were witnesses because they were living out the reality of that truth. They were living out the reality of the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, if you really believe that Christ is alive, that he has given us access to the Father, then you should be in a living, vibrant, dynamic relationship with God not a relationship in the past tense. We need to have a living relationship with God. And I think this is perhaps the most difficult truth for New Ages to accept. For most New Ages, the belief in a transcendent, all-powerful, supreme being is scary and something so terrible that most would reject the idea outright. And I think that For us as Christians who want to bring our friends to faith in Jesus, we must be mindful of where our friends are coming from. We must discern what I call the question behind the question, right? And I will highlight three questions behind the questions that will hopefully coincide with the three characteristics that I mentioned earlier. Now, can anyone remember the first characteristic of the New Ager? The New Ager desires control over their life. And from that, first question behind the question is, why would I give up control of my life? Right? And the question is about authority. For the New Ager, Christianity seems stupid. Because Christians claim to live under the rule and reign of a god, who either doesn't really seem to be in control of what's going on in the world, or a God who is powerful but unknowable. If we want to reach our friends who are New ages, we need to have that living relationship with God. We must become the examples to them of how life lived under the rule and reign of our God is neither stupid nor unwise, but is actually the most logical way to live. Now, why is it logical? Because life in this world, at its core, is something we can't control anyway. We just can't. Tell me, who saw COVID coming? Who saw the Christchurch shooting coming? Who saw the White Island eruption coming? I'll tell you who. Our God did. But that's not all. Our God saw what was coming and what is he doing about it? Our God in Christ, as Apostle Paul puts it in his letter to the Ephesians, God in Christ is setting the world to rights. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 9 to 10 tells us this. Let's read this together. Ready? Ready? Go having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. Even as we speak now, even as we endeavour to bring our friends and family and co-workers to Christ, God is already working. And he is mysteriously and actively bringing all things under the lordship and headship of Jesus Christ. And we will see it accomplished finally in the dispensation of the fullness of the times. And I say this not just in faith, but I say this knowing that it will happen. In other words, in the end, God has the final say. God has the final say. The God of our fathers, raised by Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on the tree, him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and saviour, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. When life took a drastic turn precisely Due to people trying to take control, the world felt accursed and humanity welcomed death. And in that terrible loss, in all that chaos, God sent his son to set things right by going to the cross. And he continues to set things right as Jesus sits at the right hand of God, watching, waiting and calling all people to himself. His spirit continues to move among us and within us to accomplish his will on earth as it is in heaven. My friends, church, our God is neither powerless nor unknowable. How have we lived our lives so that this truth can be evident to our friends? That brings me to the second question behind the question that New Agers have. Recall that the second characteristic of New Age philosophy is that the New Ager is averse to disappointment, suffering, and pain. Now, why are they averse to disappointment, suffering, and pain? Well, simply because they don't have a solution for it. And the second question behind the question regards the question of evil. How can bad things happen to good people? And that leads to, why does a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? I'm sure all of you would have heard this question either posed to you at some point, or you might have asked this question at some point as well. And what we can do to reach our new age friends who have this question is that we need to be authentic with the people around us. We need to be authentic with the people around us. We need to speak the whole truth. The mandate that God has given us in our passage for today is to speak to others all the words of this life. And that means not just the triumphs and the joys, which obviously we are very good at telling, but also the struggles and the failures. All of it. And that's why I am a firm believer in home groups you have no idea how integral home group ministry is to Christian discipleship and to evangelism. Home group is where you can be authentic about your struggles and your victories, which is virtually impossible if you meet in a big group, for example, on a Sunday like this. In a big group, by the time three people finish uh, updating on what's happening in their lives, their struggles, it's about time to pack up and go home. Isn't that so? And so what happens? The rest have to share really quickly, give a quick summary, and, well, I speak for Asians when I say, we'll just share the very shallow stuff that don't attract much attention. And so home groups, in small groups, I would recommend no more than 12 in each group if I had my way. Pray together, seek the Lord together, go deep with the Lord together. And in doing so, you remind each other and help each other see God's hand in your lives. Together, you can help each other have a living relationship with a dynamic, awesome, and mighty God. And not only that, together with your small group, you can reach your non-Christian friends, right? Invite non-Christian friends to home group sessions that are designed for visitors, so your friends can see the authenticity of the friendships you share in church. I remember visiting a home group while I was interning at one of the mega churches in Singapore. After attending their worship services for a few months, I narrowed down the key vehicle for growth to their small group ministry. So I made a request to join a small group for a few weeks to just see what made their small group ministry so effective at bringing people into the faith and bringing people into small groups. And on my first visit, I knew the answer. Now even with me there, a stranger to this small group, not only did they welcome me, they trusted me with their dirty laundry, so to speak. Well, as it turns out, one of the couples, a husband and a wife, took some time to thank the home group. The husband had an anger problem. During the week, he had an episode when he was so angry that he started shouting and trashing things in the house and threatening his wife. So the wife locked herself in their bedroom and called some of the small group members and those who were able rushed down to their home. The men intervened physically and the women went into the room to be with the wife. And when things cooled off, the group helped to clean up and they had a meal together. This is the level of transparency expected for their home group. They share their joys and victories and also their failures and disappointments, all in the hope of helping each other grow in faith. And that's why the most effective evangelism strategy, in my opinion, is not about going out to strangers or even big worship concerts, you know, in the time of Billy Graham. Those were the times, isn't it? I mean, I think some of you know what I mean. Maybe not the really young ones. <laughs> those may work for a while because people catch a quick glimpse of who God is and what Christianity is about. But the initial high and excitement doesn't last. It has to be followed up, right? And so for me, the most effective evangelism strategy is for each of us to reach those around us. For each of us to reach those around us. They are the ones who can see how you live your life, how you deal with disappointment, pain and suffering, and they will know if you are living what you preach. We need to be authentic with the people around us. And as a note also, when you share your testimony, when you share your faith, point them back to God. It's not about you or about me. It's about Him and what He has done in you and through you and for you. And that brings me to my last point. We need to speak. We need to speak it out. Because it is by hearing the word of God and hearing the testimony of how God has saved you and is continuing to work in your life that supernaturally becomes the substance of faith in the heart of a non-Christian. And that substance, that faith, will become faith for salvation. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I think you are familiar with the passage in Romans 10. Let's read this together. Ready? Go. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Church, we need to speak out what God is doing in our lives. And I want you to know the power of your testimony. In the book of Revelations, the scripture speaks about how war broke out in heaven. The angels were fighting the dragon, also known as the devil or Satan, and Satan was defeated. He was cast out of heaven. But the story continues. Then there was a loud voice that proclaimed, now salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has, have come. For the accuser of our brethren, that is Satan, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, that is the blood of Jesus, and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to death. Now church, hear this. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. Let me ask you this. Do you want to overcome Satan and the forces of evil in your life? I don't hear anything. (laughs) Let me ask again, okay. Do you want to overcome Satan and the forces of evil? Do you want to experience God's victory in your life? Do you want to grow in your faith? Here is what scripture says. They overcame by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. That is the power of God working in your life. There was once I went to a friend's house for a casual housewarming. It was going to be just the three of us. My friend, the host, was going to cook pasta And the other two of us, guests, we offered to bring something. And on the day of the housewarming, we were on WhatsApp chat. And I said I would bring ice cream for dessert. And my other friend said she would bring a small block of cheese, you know, to go with the pasta that uh, the host was going to cook. And the host replied that she didn't have a cheese grater. So don't bring cheese, you know. Now guess what happened in the end? (laughs) No, what happened in the end was my friend brought a cheese grater and no cheese. (laughs) Now, that's one way to see how the gospel and our testimony comes together, right? The gospel is the cheese, and our testimony is the cheese grater. The cheese grater breaks the cheese down into smaller portions so that it can be eaten, enjoyed, and digested. Of course, those who really, really love cheese might not need the cheese grater at all (laughs) but you know without it we are left with big chunks of cheese that will be difficult to eat now our testimony is like that cheese grater right our testimony makes it easier for our non-christian friends to understand the gospel but our testimony is not the main point the gospel is the main point the gospel is the real substance We need to speak out our testimonies of faith so that our friends can hear the gospel through them. I pray you remember this every time you put cheese on your pasta. Of course, if we have any Italians here, they'll be like, hmm. All right. Evangelism is the mandate of God for every Christian to speak to others all the words of this life. Now, let me be clear the angel who freed the apostles and delivered God's mandate to them could have easily carried out the mandate himself. God could, if he wished to, he could send angel after angel to do the work of evangelism. He can command the rocks to cry out. He can make donkeys speak the gospel of Christ. But God has not done that. Instead, he has chosen to give this mandate to us. And get this, God knows what he is doing. He knows that not everyone is excited to carry out this mandate. He knows that many of us will be fearful and allow anxiety to prevent us from sharing our faith. He knows that most of us are very busy people. And yet, he has stuck by his choice. All through human history, God has stuck by his choice. And because he has stuck by his choice, what we do or do not do in this regard bears great significance for eternity. You are called to speak to others all the words of this life. Speak about how God has sent his son to save you and in doing so has made you a child of the almighty God. Tell them about the God who is so powerful and able to accomplish all that he wills to do and yet humbled himself to death on a cross. Speak to them about his great love for the world and his desire that all should be saved. Share with them about how he continues to speak to you through his spirit and his word and gives you peace and joy in your life. Speak to them all the words of this life. Now I know that people out there in a secularized society, such as New Zealand, probably don't think that Christianity is cool, right? Cool is going to a club, drinking, smoking, and having a grunged up, disheveled, out of bed look. Christianity, not cool. So many rules and restrictions. Now, recall the third characteristic of the New Ager is that the New Ager has problems with rules. And that's why the New Ager picks and chooses which spiritual practices to follow. The question behind the question has to do with organised religion. What are the do's and don'ts? And so I have had this question posted to me before. Why can't I have Jesus but not the church? Interesting question, isn't it? Now, Christianity is about a relationship with God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it's also about the community of faith helping us to grow in that relationship. The do's and don'ts are there to aid in building that relationship with God. And the community of faith helps us understand the rules, the beauty behind the rules, and gives us support and encouragement in the effort to grow in our love for God. Does that make sense? Now today, let me testify to you, I have no regrets living the kind of life others would call not cool. All right? As you can see, I'm just generally not very well-dressed and not very cool, you know? Like, I was going to wear cooler shoes today, but then I'm like, I'm going to be standing for the next few hours. I'm like, okay, never mind. <laughs> Well, I have no regrets, you know, not being in the in crowd. And why? Because those things don't, to use Marie Kondo's words, spark joy. They just don't. Not anymore. God does. Jesus does. The Holy Spirit working in my life does. The Lord is the one who gives me the peace and the joy and the satisfaction in life that I've been looking for. When I get a day to myself, I love just going to a cafe, reading a Christian book, and have a good cup of coffee. Just me and the Lord, having some time to ourselves. I must admit, nowadays, Robbie is kind of the third wheel, third wheel you know. Um, but the best thing that anyone can experience in this life is a relationship with God. And I'm not the only one who can testify to that. Isn't that true? So imagine... If we as a community loudly and daringly testify of Jesus, imagine how far that would go in helping our friends come to Christ. Bottom line, if you experience God, you need to share your faith. You need to be involved in the work of evangelism. Now I'm getting carried away. In our passage today, we see that Gamaliel cautioned the Pharisees. Gamaliel was a very well-respected teacher of the law. He's like the pharisee of the Pharisees. All right? There's even speculation that he was the teacher of Saul of Tarsus who later became apostle Paul. And he tells the teachers of the law, "For if this plan or this work of men is the work of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it." lest you even be found to fight against God. If this plan is of God, you cannot overthrow it. Now what is this plan? In the context of Acts chapter 5, this plan refers to the movement and expansion of Christianity. In other words, the church. And history has shown that this plan is indeed from God. Now look at the state of the church today. I mean. Divisions and some internal fighting aside, the church is everywhere. The church is everywhere. God is at work revealing himself and calling people unto himself and adding to his church daily. And if today you are not involved in this great plan of his, I say to you, my friend, you are on the wrong team. God is with us in this work of evangelism. He has not left us alone in this mandate. And in these last few years, there has been an increasing awareness here in Auckland, a spiritual undercurrent, if you will. It might take a few years or more, but if you are in touch with especially the migrant churches here in New Zealand, you will see that God is working in a powerful and mighty way. Church the urgency of salvation for non-believers is paramount. And I believe that the Spirit of God has been speaking that to you as well. And so, even though I'm an introvert, I know it doesn't seem like it, but I am. Even though I rather not bother about other people's business, you know, even though I am still fearful about speaking to strangers or people I've just met, the passion, the fire in my heart. To see every soul saved and every ear, every ear hear his gospel is overwhelming my indifference and my fears. And I have this fire in my belly for every person to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and come to faith in him. And if one day if God so wills that my flesh too has to burn for the cause of the gospel, then let it be unto me as he wills perhaps I'll be counted worthy to suffer for my saviour. Now, there is more I'd like to share, but as you can see, we're running out of time. So in closing, let me say this. There was once an abbot who was asked by a reporter. Now, an abbot is someone like a, who runs a monastery, someone like a priest or a monk. If one day you realise that Christianity is false, what will be your response? And this abbot replied, even if Christianity is false, it would still be a good life lived. Today, if I posed you the same question, what would your answer be? If one day you realize that Christianity is false, what would your response be? Apostle Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, had a different answer from this abbot. In verse 19 of chapter 15, he writes, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. You see, what he is saying is that if the resurrection wasn't true, if Christianity was false, if our hope in Christ is only valid for this earthly life and has no bearing for eternity, then we are of all men the most to be pitied. And why would he say that? Because he had lived his earthly life in such a way that just wouldn't make sense if God Wasn't real. He lived his earthly life in such a way that just wouldn't make sense if God wasn't real. He spent his life preaching the gospel and bringing others into the faith. He hinged his entire life, his reputation, his physical well being, everything on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can we say the same? have we hinged our lives on the gospel of Jesus Christ? Would we go to those lengths to see God's mandate accomplished? The truth is, because the resurrection is true, because the gospel is true, those who hinge their lives on the gospel of Christ are instead the most to be envied. And if that's you, if you believe that the gospel is true and that you are to be envied for living your life on this truth, then you must put your money where your mouth is, so to speak, and speak to others all the words of this life. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you for increasing our faith. We thank you for your spirit challenging us. We thank you that in your word there is power to accomplish even the impossible. So today, Lord, would you continue to work in our hearts? Would you convict us of the many times where we have shied away from sharing your gospel and sharing our testimonies of faith? And Lord, grant us that courage, that enthusiasm, that power to boldly share what you have done in our lives and what you continue to do in the life of your church. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts today that each person sitting here this morning and each person watching from home, that you will fire up that passion in our hearts that every eye will see Jesus and every ear hear his gospel. Lord, we want to be a people who truly testify of your gospel, of your love, of your power. Enable us and empower us to be a church who truly speaks of Jesus Christ, your son. We thank you, Lord. We pray this only in his precious name. Amen.